Welcome to Beyond the Fail, the podcast where we talk to leaders and entrepreneurs about their biggest business failures. We'll deep dive into how they overcame these setbacks, the lessons they learned from them, all to help you gain valuable insights. Failure is an essential part of the business journey, as well as being the key to success. So we're here to show you how to thrive from it. Mark Lloyd is a multiple business owner, property investor, developer, mentor, and trainer. And he was previously awarded the top 10 property coaches in the UK by Yahoo Finance. He has over 30 years of experience in business and has started numerous companies in many industries, including finance, construction, and utilities. He sold one of his previous companies, a telecoms business, for over seven figures after building it up to 130-plus staff. Mark talks today about dealing with bankruptcy, having a six-figure invoice land on his desk with no way to pay, and the impact this had on him personally. This is Beyond the Fail with Mark Lloyd. Mark, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm just, uh, yep. Fantastic. Thanks. Had a really great day. And, and now it's on a high with you. <laughs> well, hopefully I can live up to the hype. Um, thanks so much for being here. And really great to have you on finally. I know we um, obviously... Mark, where did it kind of all start for you? Let's start. Well, I, I, I've been um, self-employed, uh, my own, running my own account really for over 30 years now. So I suppose really it started around about 19... 86 probably so before you were born probably <laughs> no i was a few years old yeah okay. um and but my, my first job i actually my first job my one and only job was in a bank actually i started working in a bank and um i was really going nowhere fast um i'd, I'd come from a cow's estate i was a you know quite a quite a poor background and um a bad family background as well I, I, I needed to leave home and I left home as soon as I could um, which was after I passed my exams and I joined the labour market in 1979 which is when Margaret Thatcher first got in and and there was no jobs literally you know, there was, I think there was 3 million unemployed and growing and the conservatives got in and the unemployment grew even further so well, how, how did that feel how did that feel entering a labour market at that young age obviously with the you know, the background that you just talked about to that kind of enormity and that kind of large obstacle? Um, well, I, I, I was motivated to find something. I, I, I've always wanted to earn money. And, and whilst I was at school, I had three jobs. Yes, three part-time wow. jobs because, you know, I don't, don't want to dwell too much on my childhood, but it was it was rough, you know. And then any money I earned, I had to give half of that through to the family. So I, I was constantly wanting to, to earn money. And while, when I kind of left school, those jobs disappeared because they were kind of designed for you know, part-time kids and I wanted a full-time job. And, and, and all I say, all I say that banking was my first job, actually I had a job just prior to that, she was in, which was working as a garage, in a, ga in a petrol garage. Literally, click the button. What, mechanic? You know, click um, the button, you fill your pump up. <laughs> right. Oh, one of those, right, okay. And, and that was the first job that came up. Um, and I, I had to take it because in those days, if a job came up in the job center, when, you know, you had to go to the job center first of all to sign on. You sign on to the doll. That's where the term come from. And um, if, you, if a job came up, you had to take it. You had to go and, and be presented. And, and if there's 
unless you had a valid reason not to take the job. So I took this job. It was three miles from where I lived. I, I didn't drive. None of my family drive, drove. Uh, and I walked every single day. And I had I worked four days a week, 12-hour shifts, and then three days off. Wow. And one day, a friend of mine um, that I knew from school came in and, and just filling up his car and, and said, to, yeah, what, what are you up to? Blah, blah. And he was working for a bank, Barclays. I said, no, how did you find out about that? He said it was just, he saw an advert in the paper. So I thought, I now started searching for, for job. I, I, I attended the interview and started working with NatWest Bank in um, yeah late late part of 1979. Amazing. Who needs LinkedIn when you've got, you know, people that come to your garage every day that you can uh, network with? Yeah, absolutely. It's just about networking, people I knew at school. And they, you know, I, I, I did okay at school. Some, Beth and certainly what he'd done. And I thought, well, okay, if he's got a job at a bank, I must be able to. And that's that, that. And that's the only reason I ended up at a bank. And you mentioned about um, you know being self-employed for thirty years and obviously having three jobs in school. And you mentioned like the necessity of essentially having those three jobs in school. But would you describe yourself as an entrepreneur? Was that entrepreneurial drive that was leading you to all of those jobs, or was it the necessity? I, I don't think it was entrepreneurial drive. I think it was more necessity. There's nobody. There was nobody in my family that had that entrepreneurial drive. My dad was a factory worker. He worked as a in, in a factory. Uh, in fact, by the age of nineteen, my when I started working at the bank, I was earning nearly double what my dad was. Um, and that 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 kind of caused frictions, which is why I, I also left home at that point as well. And and um, I think the entrepreneurial bit probably came later because I I was pretty immature. You know, I earned money. I spent it like as quickly as it was coming through the door. Yeah, I was having a good time. I was. I lived. I moved to London. Um, I worked in the West End of London, which is a fantastic place for a young lad. Uh, and so many, so many. I know cookies. It's just a big, huge cookie jar. And where do we go next? So we go to that bar. We go to that restaurant. Or we go to that nightclub, or, or as they were called there, discos. It's great. Was some of that because? Was some of that because you know you, obviously. You know, you said you had quite a difficult upbringing in terms of um, money. Do you think then you, the fact that you were earning, you know, a good good wage then, then you were kind of a bit more frivolous with it because it was you were kind of enjoying the what you didn't have previously. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I I, um, I rented a, a flat in London um, for for a few years before I got promoted, but that, that kind of things kind of changed. There was a guy I was who was who was my immediate manager, a guy called Mike Bird. Now he doesn't know this even to this day, but he sat down with me one day and uh, said, "Look, Mark, you know, nothing's happening. You're, you're going to end up staying where you're staying unless you change." And he just gave me a few things to read, um, and and these are all kind of bank uh, manual stuff that you, to learn, but also. Um, kind of helped change my attitude because I, I was I was cocky I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder from my background because everybody I was working with it all come from middle class rich families here's me mm. council mm. kid no money family no money didn't well just about buying their own house so it was a new environment for me nothing something I wasn't what was foreign to me and but he sat me down and and from that point literally a year later I was promoted a year later after that, I was a manager of a bank and I was mid-twenties. Was he your mentor? Yeah, I, I'd say he's my very first mentor, without a shadow of a doubt. And I say, it, I, I think he might still be alive. Um, 
So it was only about eight or nine years older than me. So he should, should definitely still be alive, hopefully. Uh, I, I have no idea where he is in the country. But yeah, he's certainly left a, a lasting impression on me. And that kind of changed my, my whole attitude and approach. And that's probably, maybe he ignited something in me, but maybe I did have the entrepreneurial thing there, but I needed someone else to ignite it. And I think he was the person that did it. So what led you to going on to obviously quite a good trajectory in, in the bank, but then swapping that for being self-employed? The need to earn more money. <laughs> um, so whilst bank employees are okay paid, I wouldn't say that they're, they're high salaries because you get a lot of benefits within a bank. And one of those one of those things in those days was really good, which was cheap mortgages. So when you're paying interest rates of 9%, 10% and you've got a mortgage at 3%, that's a major benefit. Um, because of the word, the fact you work for yeah, the bank. Exactly. Wow, wow. That's a good reason. And of course, yeah. not a lot of reason why most people didn't leave the bank as well, because you, you were tied into that mortgage. So I started looking around for higher paying jobs. I had an interest in the stock market. I was interested in all sorts of things like that. And thought, okay, what if I went for a work for a broker? Um, and then I saw an advert for, uh, I think it was a life assurance salesperson. And I went along to that. I got through to the final kind of half dozen or so people and, and I didn't get the job, but they said the only reason I didn't have the job is because I didn't have selling experience. So I thought, okay, I took that on board and, and I then kept, kept looking and I came across um, an advert for selling life assurance again, but on a self-employed basis. And I went for the interview and they did some um, psychometric testing on me, which I'd never had done before or didn't and I, any idea what it was um and the guy there glenn davis who i'm still in contact with today uh sat me down and he said mark you have got amazing attributes according to these tests we've done that you will succeed as a self-employed salesperson now i'd never sold before wow and i thought okay i heard crap <laughs> i was gonna say another word then but, but um Oh yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't sure he was trying to sell me, sell me into it or what. So I, I this is a pyramid scheme. Is that we yeah, are worried yeah. about? No, unless and then I, I brought my wife along to the interview. I said we have a chat as well. And I said to her, "What do you think?" Because I, I really want to do this. Um, and I, I made the decision to leave a safe, secure job with a cheap mortgage. My wife was pregnant, just about to have our first child. Wow, not on the line. And I'm leaving my job. Within my first year of being self-employed, I was the top sales associate for the first year. So the, the test was right. It wasn't mine. It was right. And um, and that, that was a big learning. I mean, yeah, never done sales before. I attended their um, initial sales training. And there was a few things that came out of that. So they say, well, actually, Mark, you're very good at on, on this particular aspect of, of, of sales, which I'd never even considered before. Um, and so I'd learned as well as the success I got out of it and I got an award which I was yeah is always nice I mean that's an amazing achievement considering you had so much on the line as well you obviously took a big risk how did that risk feel like taking that huge plunge especially you know with the fact that you're going to have a big life change and obviously a big dependence on you to earn money to support your child how did that feel what gave you the kind of um, strength to take that risk um Ooh, that's that's a difficult one. I think after my dad died when I was twenty five, um, 
that also helped change my attitude, by the way, as well, because that you, know, you realize then my dad was only in his 40s when he died. You, you kind of, and I was the eldest one in the family. I was the eldest boy, one of the eldest of four boys. Um, and um, you kind of realize that, you know, you need to do something with your life. And, and the, you know, the effect of Mike talking to me around that same sort of time as my dad died as well. And then Glenn and, and moving in. And I had, I had supreme confidence. And that's one of the things that I'm probably guilty of is I do have that. You know, you ask me to do something, I'll do it. I don't usually question. I'll do it to my best of my ability, but I always have a go. And so that's kind of what it was. And, and I should just add, by the way, my wife wanted to move house at the same time as well. So we're looking for a new house, <laughs> bigger house, what's a bigger house as well, which I managed to get just before she left the bank. She was in the bank as well. So we managed to get that just before she left the bank. And, um, but I, I was super motivated. And, and the downside was I was working longer hours to, to you know, get the kind of income lifestyle things that we wanted to pay for. Did you have any doubts at the time that you wouldn't succeed in that sales job? Um, later, yes. Um, after I'd been going a little while, I'd moved away from selling life insurance into selling other things. I've, I've sold quite a lot of things actually from home improvements like conservatories, double glazing, kitchens, bathrooms, high, well, high ticket items. Kind of see the pattern there. I was attracted to the high ticket because it was high commission. High commission. <laughs> so, um, and that kind of proved a little bit to be part of my downfall in, in line with what was happening in the economy at the time. I don't want to blame the economy, but in line with that, because I was, whilst I was earning a good income, I was also we were also spending a lot of money. Uh, my wife decided not to go back to work; she's a stay-at-home mum. She got a part-time job, but money we were bringing in, we were we were spending. I was spending, and in fact, I was spe- I was spending more than I was actually earning. We started building up um, credit card debt, um, and when the interest rates really rocketed through the through the the, the sky, um, I got got to a stage where I thought, yeah, this is ridiculous. I I've got. I'm building up debt. I now can't pay the mortgage. Um, and I just stopped doing what I was doing. I actually thought, no, that's it. I'm going to stop. I could actually get my mortgage paid, which is my biggest worry, by by signing onto the doll. Because at the time, that was what the government offered, so that you could actually get your mortgage paid. So that was the only option I had, in my mind, was to get the mortgage paid and somehow sort out how on earth I'm going to pay back all this credit card debt I've built up. So over what period of time are we talking here? Because obviously you had your that new job and you had your child, and then we've gone from from that. And you know, it sounded you said you won an award after one year, and obviously top salesperson. How many years span are we talking about between going from that then to essentially signing on the doll? About five years wasn't long at all um the timing wasn't great as i said with the economy the way it was as well but um i think you know the problem was i've always as I said i've always you know i wanted to do things i'd never been abroad for example until i met my wife so i want to go abroad i want to go and see these countries i'd learned languages at school i'd learned french German, and spanish at school and i wanted to go visit these countries and practice um, some of the languages i'd learned which i still do today actually and and um but of course, living the lifestyle and wanted to keep that lifestyle going, I kind of created a an image as well that I was trying to maintain. 
And and that's how I kind of built up the debt as well, trying to keep things going, you know, trying to think, okay, how am I going to pay that slant and pay for that? And, and then I eventually, as I said, I, I kind of gave up and I went to see um, a firm of accountants uh, to say, you know, what do I do? I can't pay the, can't make the monthly payments on a credit card. My credit then by that stage was shot. I had CCJs coming at me years um, and... Uh, I just didn't know what to do. I was still young. I didn't I had no one to speak to. Didn't have my dad to speak to. Didn't have anybody, a mentor or any kind at that point to really, really, really talk to. Um, how old were you at the time? How old was I? Um, I think I was 31, 32. 32. Sounds like a lot. I mean, it's a lot of weight on your shoulders at 31. Yeah. Yeah, my own fault. Yeah, hands up. Nobody else put me there. I did. Um, but they sat me down and gave me two options. One was I went bankrupt. And then that meant I'd have three years and I'd be free of everything. Or I pay people back, but a, a, a pence in the pound. And I opted for paying people back. Um, on reflection, it was not the best decision to make. Uh, purely from a financial point of view but I decided that that was the route I wanted to take and that I was going to pay back as much as I could and so why wasn't it the best best route wouldn't have bankruptcy of you know isn't that such an extreme measure to, to take on not once you understand bankruptcy law um, so although my credit's record was shot by entering an arrangement to pay back the creditors um, an, an amount my credit record was still short, but actually for longer. So when I came, when I'd finished off paying the arrangement, I still could not do anything um, credit-wise. I had no, I could, could did, couldn't, couldn't have a credit card. Luckily, I had a bank account, but I couldn't open up anything new. I couldn't get a mortgage. I couldn't rent either. Wow. Uh, and the only saving grace there was. At the time, I I was um, just before we lost the house. Um, I had started a company with um, a my plumber, a guy called Andre. It was uh, a central heating company. He was going to obviously he was like the technical guy. I was the sales, and we'd started that, and we'd brought in two other people, a guy called Mark and Jackie. And Mark um, let me stay at his house. Because I couldn't once once the house had gone, and I I, I did make sure my wife and daughter had somewhere to live. Um, any money that we did have went to pay for rent for for them, but I had nothing left. And I tried as much as I tried to try to find somewhere to to live. I I, I couldn't. I had nowhere. Um, everywhere I went, credit search, no chance whatsoever. So I stayed at Mark's house for probably three, four, five months, something like that. Wow. Um, and how close were your wife and daughter living? They were only a few miles away. A few miles away. Um, I, I remember very much before, just before we, we lost the house, I, I rang Mark from the checkout at Sainsbury's, St. Mark, and I it's a little bit emotional now thinking about it, but I can't afford to pay for this week's shop. The, what did he do? came down to the supermarket and 
paid for me. So I couldn't afford to feed the family. So this guy was more of a business, more than a business partner, yeah. really. He was, you know, he was your savior in some ways. Yes, he was. And he was a great guy to have within the um, the company that we, we'd set up as well, the, the four of us. Um, whilst it was my initial idea, I knew that I couldn't do things without other people there. Andre was the technical help, but I needed other people. Mark and Jackie came. Mark, Mark we met, Andre and I, um, as part of a, I think it was a trade organization he, he was representing at the time and he wanted us to join. And he saw what we were doing and the ideas that I had and he, I, but I couldn't implement them because I couldn't get access to, to help it grow the company. And so he came on board. And he was a former general manager with Thompson Directories. Now, I don't know whether you remember Thompson Directories. Right, yeah. As to, to the yellow pages. I mean, anybody listening to this now thinking, what on earth are we talking about? <laughs> the precursor to, uh, I don't know, um, Craigslist or something like yeah, that, you know. Precursor to Google, really. Mm. So uh, he was the general manager there, and he'd, he'd set up it on his own, and he saw that we could potentially grow a, a really decent company here. And so, so yeah, it was a great, great guy to have. Did that pressure that you were facing affect your like relationship at all, and and all of that? Yeah, we 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 split up. Um, literally at the time, the house was sold. Things things were quite rough you know we had arguments and, and it was all you know at the end of the day it was all financially related yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I I, just couldn't cope I couldn't cope with trying to um, look after the family trying to do everything else the finances and I, I just I couldn't, couldn't deal with it I, I, apart from I, was, I made sure they had the house and, and I got as much money as I could together to make sure the rent was covered for the first six months um, and then, you know, again, she probably would have got some help, some state help, but I, I couldn't, you know, said I didn't have any to live at either. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it was extremely difficult, probably one of the lowest points in my life. And it, yeah, it teaches you a lot as well. But also, I think what it, it changed me quite a bit from being a cocky, bolshy young man into someone now that was a bit more considerate uh, and thoughtful about ideas before implemented them. So rather than going gung-ho, let's go for it. Mm. Let's think about it overnight. If I got an idea, I'd write it down. I'd think about it overnight. And I'd say, okay, yeah, all right. Let's Rather than previously, I would have just gone, let's go for it. Let's go now. Let's do it now. I was always was that in life or in business or both? Kind of both. Um, I, I have been a little bit impetuous. I, you know, I don't. I didn't have a lot of patience. Now people say to me, "I'm very calming when I talk, and I don't sound like I'm rushed, or I don't sound stressed, or I don't." So, so that's why, because I, I think a little bit more about things rather than rushing in now. And uh, you know, I'm still making mistakes. Don't get me wrong, but they're not kind of financial mistakes, mistakes I made previously. And you mentioned about um, just. I suppose going back and circling back to that moment, you you, you decided that you're going to go on the dole, and then obviously you spoke to those accountants who advised you to take the sort of credit agreements and and things like that rather than um, the bankruptcy, and then you started this plumbing business. Did you do anything in between? Were you did you start any other businesses or did you get any other sort of self employment? No, 
No, nothing at all. The, the one of the things about signing on the dole as a self-employed person, you didn't receive as much um, unemployment benefit as a person that's been in a job. So it was barely enough to to um, live on. But I couldn't do anything else because if you got caught, obviously, you, you know, you 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 up for I don't know some kind of criminal procedure. Um, so the trying to get started on something was quite difficult, and uh, I had to do that very much time kind of basis with Andre um, initially and then getting Mark and Jackie in that kind of helped so I could share my ideas to move things forward which they could kind of implement and they, they were all aware of my situation I was totally upfront with with all of them um, I didn't I couldn't go on the bank account I didn't want to go on the bank account so I had so from my perspective I had to trust them implicitly <laughs> um, even though really I had no I hadn't known them that long yeah. Uh, so were you kind of like a silent sort of director in that? Oh, well, well, I wasn't even the director. Yeah, so I wasn't. wasn't I wasn't right. anything. I was allowed to be. So, um, so yeah, and and I mean, we, we appointed Mark, the other Mark, as kind of head of the, of the company. Um, but I was the sales really for, for the company, and, and as things started to improve, we could because uh, I couldn't get paid initially from the company, so that was how I got around the dole issue. I could start it, but I wasn't being paid, so didn't really matter but then once we got to a situation where I could be paid that's when I came off the dole and at that point which is only like you know, five or six months that's when I could start finally managed to rent somewhere but again I had still had the same issue because my credit record was shot um, and I'd gone into a letting agency and I said look if you're going to do a credit search let me know let me you're up front you know um, what I can do is I can pay six months rent up front and I'll pay the monthly rent as well. Um, and yeah. spoke, they spoke to a landlord and uh, said, yeah, okay. And that, that got me back into living somewhere on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's, you know, things progressed from there. How did you keep going during that time? Because you obviously, you know, kind of split up with your wife. You had this huge sort of debt mounting over you and then you were starting a new business how did you manage all those things together um very stressful uh, a lot of sleepless nights uh, sitting there wondering what the hell am i doing um partly suicidal uh, you know I, I think and then you know I, I sort of turned to drink as well, I was drinking a lot more than I'd ever done before because I, I needed some kind of solace, no one to talk to. Of course, yeah. um, and you know, unfortunately, when you if you're in that kind of frame of mind, and alcohol just worsens it. So um, you, know, you see a lot. Yeah, but it's, why am I? Why am I? Why am I continuing? Why am I here? To be honest with you, the only thing really probably kept me going was my daughter. Otherwise, I probably would have done something. And what was the kind of turning point out of all of this then? Because obviously that was the sort of the low point. How did you start to sort of turn things around? What happened to the plumbing business? Did that succeed? Yep. Yeah, that succeeded. Uh, we ended up selling that company. Um, a couple of changes happened. I mean, Andre left the company. He, he decided he wanted to do something different. He actually became an airline pilot from becoming a plumber. He left school without any qualifications. And that's what he does today. He's an airline pilot. 
Uh, Mark unfortunately died of cancer, um, so it left me and Jackie. But in the process, we'd set up three, three or four companies, I think, within that space as well. So not well, not in that space, but just within us. So we we had the central heating company, which we sold. Uh, we had a um, utilities company, a telecommunications company, and an IT company. The IT company wasn't a, wasn't a great success. I, I knew nothing about IT, and, and they were relying on me partly for sales. And we, then we had to get someone in to try and do that. And it, to me, it was too complex. I couldn't I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't sell it. So our largest company became um, the telecommunications company. We merged the utilities side with the telecommunications. And, and the way the utilities one came up, and it was just, I, I stumbled across this by accident. Um, the when the government of the day decided to deregulate the energy markets, so you could now you could then choose your supplier, which seems foreign to anybody today. Mm-hmm. Then you choose your yeah. supplier, so you can now suddenly choose your supplier. And I started seeing some of these people selling contracts, like gas contracts, electricity contracts, and so on. When I approached Mark, Jackie, and Andre, I said, "Look, why don't we do this? Yeah, there's, there's a huge opportunity here. There's a chance for people to choose." their own supplier and none of them could see it i said right okay let me let me just show you and i, I put them onto various energy suppliers I said, look these are the new energy suppliers that none they'd never heard of before these are new energy suppliers they're looking to enter the market and they're offering a competitive advantage let's get in there let's build a sales team and let's get cracking and that's what we did we actually built up a sales team of 160 people we um our, we were doing something like 200 contracts a week, but we were only being paid, I don't want to say only, but we were being paid, I think it was 25 or 30 pounds per contract, but times by 200 a week. Per week, yeah. As the market changed, we were being paid 100 pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds a contract, as it became harder to actually sell those. And then one day, one of our sales guys went into a small telecom telecommunications reseller, got them they got their electricity contract signed up, and they, they, he's turned around and said, "Why don't you sell telephone numbers?" We thought, "Okay, what's what's the story behind that?" So we started to sell um, telephone numbers, and after about six months, we thought, "Ah, waste of space. There's no money in it. We get paid a little bit of commission, and then nothing happens. Nobody's using the numbers." And what we were selling was um, the modern day equivalent of 0345 numbers. You know, okay, so that business, business numbers. But after about six months, we suddenly had a check through the post. It was about six grand. And that was for one week's revenue on one phone number. Because the telephone, one of the early telephone numbers one of our sales guys had sold was to a small company called Whitbread Breweries. Oh, wow. Who were just launching a brand called Premier Inns. Right. And the number they bought was for their central reservation number. Wow. So our telecommunications company became our biggest company. Did did you know you were going to get a commission on the actual phone calls? Yes. We just but we'd sold quite a few numbers and nobody had used there'd been no commission. Oh, okay. <laughs> when this check suddenly appears out of the blue, so wow, what is this? So then we started to focus very much more on telecommunications because we could see the routes that we could get down and, and where we could get that recurring income coming through every single month. Amazing. 
I mean, that's quite a turnaround, isn't it? From you know that that sort of low point of the bankruptcy and you know those sort of suicidal thoughts that you mentioned to you know essentially having a, a kind of conglomerate business. You mentioned the IT um, business didn't do so well. What happened to that? We just closed it. Um, didn't know any money. It was uh, yeah, just a I guess an experiment. We we were kind of trying to think of things that were current where we could use our sales expertise but with it it was very much a technical sale which we weren't really used to so when we got when we got some um technical sales guys in we couldn't it was they were difficult to manage they were very technical which i'm not i can be when i want to be but Mm. if i don't enjoy it i can't see the route to finding the money at the end if you like i'm not interested so we decided to let them go. Um, th- th- there was a long lead-in sale time as well, which I didn't like either. So we wait six months to get a deal and it might not happen. So, of course, in the meantime, you're paying their salaries, which was being funded out of the other companies. So so th- was this on the back of you'd already established those, the tel- telecommunications yep. and the utilities companies? Yep. So how long into that did you launch the IT company? Probably about a year after. Okay. So not that long, really. You were still kind of growing the other businesses. Yeah, I think the the thing is, because of the the way they operated, they were relatively straightforward businesses. I mean, you know, when you're in sales, the the products, what you need to know about the product, it's kind of secondary to the the way you operate. As long as you can manage the sales side of things, then you should be able to produce income, uh, which we weren't able to do with the IT side. That that was the difficulty we found there. you know, lesson learned. So keep keep things simple. Don't try and do too, too many things that you certainly don't understand. So um, do it, focusing then as the utilities side starts to dry up and focusing on the uh, telecommunications side, which is really the best thing we ever did. Um, and I say in the meantime, Andre part, uh, moved on, Mark passed away, left myself and Jackie. And we sold that company in 2009. The IT company, do you think you that would have been different if you, I suppose, weren't focused on the other two, if you'd given it, you'd, were you spread too thin is essentially the thing what I'm getting at? Mm. Yeah, I've, I've been asked that a couple of times and I think, you know, there was four of us um, and I, the other Mark was more in control of that side of things. But the, the myself in particular, I, I was not happy that we were paying salaries and no income coming through um, because of what I'd been through you know that to me these disaster so um, and we had two salespeople and IT salespeople are not cheap so um, I thought nah I'm not any of this we, we, we shut it I, 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 we get rid of them we shut it unless they get a contract right in the next couple of months that's it how long did you give it? Um, in total, it had a year. And Andre agreed with me. Mark was wanted to give it more time. Jackie, she's always wor- always has been worried about money for side of things, regardless anyway. <laughs> so she, she always looked after the bank account. Someone needs yeah, to. Exactly. So um, we were all in agreement. If it didn't, we didn't get some sales coming in very soon, then we would just close the company. That's the same did you make a loss that year, though? Uh, on that company, yes, we did, because it, it was financed out by the other companies. 
Do you regret now closing that down? Do you think it could have been different? No, I don't regret it. Didn't understand it. Right. Um, I think you know, if you don't understand the business you're in, why are you there? No, no, definitely. Do you think you could have brought someone in who did understand it who would have then been able to pad it forward? I think that would have been possible. But as you rightly said about being spread too thin, I, I focused very much on the utilities and, and telecom side. I couldn't do something else as well. Mm. That was, that, was Mark, that was kind of Mark's responsibility, really, was dealing with that side of things. Um, and he couldn't make it work. And he was you know, a pretty good salesperson as well. So, But he, did, he lacked the technical knowledge as well. We both did. So that's kind of really where it didn't work. And did you sort of see that as a uh, as a failure or as a was that business an experiment? So therefore, it wasn't sort of seen as a failure. Didn't see it as a failure. Learning experience. You know, in business, you'll go through many, many different learning experiences. Um, you know, were we spreading ourselves too thin? Were we trying to do too many things? Did we take on taking on things we didn't really understand? You know, there's, a, there's a there's a great you know. Um, Call it mnemonic kiss, yeah. Keep, keep it simple, stupid. Yes, keep, keep, <laughs> don't, don't really complicate yeah. things. Don't try and do things that you're not familiar with. You know, on certain occasions, you've got to go out of your comfort zone definitely. But trying to, in a business, if you're trying to start a business, you're out know absolutely nothing about, you know, you're going to come unstuck. And when you closed that business down, was there any sort of fallout? Was anyone, was there any sort of fallout because you'd made a loss? Was there any financial implications of that? No, because at the time we had quite a lot of income coming through from the, the other right. companies, the two the other two companies. So, yeah, I mean, it was annoying that we'd lost money, but luckily we had that cushion of the money constantly coming through every mm. week from the other two companies. And was anyone kind of from your leadership team disappointed that it didn't work? Was there any? Did that cause any friction? Yeah, I, th- I think Mark was certainly disappointed and in fact shortly after that he he left us um he went to work for a telecommunications company oddly enough in the city hmm. right. um, he was um pr- uh, taken on as md there so yeah I, th- I think mark was a little bit disappointed at the time did that lead to him leaving part and parcel there was a few other um Issues as well, I think, at home that that um, he, he needed. He he was used to earning a very good salary. He came to work with us, and he wasn't earning anywhere near as much. So um, I think there was pressure from family as well that he needs mm. back up to the kind of income level he was used to. Right, is that because there was so many of you as directors, and you you had to sort of spread the the sort of salaries? Too many. That was another that was another lesson learned that you know, I I, I needed to. I, you know, if you think back to what I was saying about I need I needed to have people there. I couldn't. There was things I couldn't do on my own. I set. I couldn't own a, uh, open a bank account. I couldn't be on the bank account. I couldn't be a director of the company either. So I had to have other people there. And on reflection, too many. So uh, probably could have just been one or two of us. In fact, that's how it ended up. Me and Jackie. So that's really great insight, actually, isn't it? Because what you're saying is the you, you're essentially linking. The having too many directors, and obviously your director, other director leaving, to actually your your bankruptcy. The reason you had so many directors was because of your bankruptcy. Mm. Was I, I suppose there wasn't any other way of doing that, was there? No. But you think that one of the most basic things in the business you need a bank account. Mm. You can't operate, can you? 
Mm. So, and I, the fact I couldn't open a bank account is a huge blocker. Because they obviously it's taken your personal name into consideration when, you know, in, in putting out you as a signatory. Yep. And when, when he left was, did that cause him sort of big problems? No, I think by the time Mark left, um, my my credit score had been rebuilt because I'd you know obviously I was renting somewhere. Uh, I'd managed to get my first credit card again, just to start building up credit. You know, like like we teach a lot of people these days, is to you need to build up a credit credit history. Um, and then I was I can't remember what year it was. Um, managed to get back on the housing ladder again. Well, I think right. It was, uh, right. actually it's on do now. It's nineteen ninety nine. It's, it's been, so what did that take you? How many years did that yeah. take you to? Um, overall, about six years. Right. Um, to actually get manage to get credit, get a mortgage, and move into a bigger house than I had previously. And you mentioned earlier about that you you felt you should have gone down the bankruptcy route. Do you still feel that? Do you think that would have been the better decision? Financially, yes, from a pure financial point of view. Um. And then, you know, sounds terrible. It means I wouldn't have had to pay back all the money I did. But also, my credit record would have been repaired earlier because the payment, uh, paying back people, I, that was over a uh, four or five year period. So my credit record during that time was never going to get repaired. Whereas with bankruptcy, it's a total line drawn under it. Then you've got six years from then. But would a bankruptcy had any impacts on you starting any businesses? No. No, it's um, potentially would have affected me later in life. So when when I got into property, for example, yeah, I mean that that would definitely have affected me. But you still don't re- you still think you should have taken that route at the time? Yes, that when I, when I look back at it, I, I was I think I was advised incorrectly. Right. Um, but hey, hindsight's a wonderful thing. No, absolutely. So you obviously had the the bankruptcy and everything on all the fallout of that, and then you obviously had this IT business which which kind of closed down. Have you ever have you had any other sort of moments of sort of big mistakes or big failures as well that you you kind of want to share? Well, mistakes. I mean, mistakes are every day. <laughs> um. Oh wow! I suppose. Because I know you started a lot of businesses, so have they all gone? You know, have they all gone successfully? Obviously, we've we've kind of touched on one, but was there any others? Uh, yeah, no, there was one other, um, which was in the telecommunications sector. So it was another company we had. Um, now here, this was at a time when, if you were calling a, uh, I think that which it was, if you were calling a mobile number from a landline, it used to be really, really expensive, unlike today. Yeah. So there was technology that was developed called SIM farms, where essentially it was a bit of tech where you put 20 SIM cards into it. It linked into a telephone exchange up in the city so that essentially you were dialing mobile to mobile, which was the cheapest way of routing it. So we had a routing number. So when someone dialed, it automatically connected into the SIM farm and dialed the mobile number. So that went really well. I think I'm. I think I'm following. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, that went really, really well. We actually that took off like amazing. Seriously. So we had. What year are we in now? And have you got the other companies? Yes. No. We've got the other companies. This we decided to do a separate 
one to the, tele- the telecommunications company just purely because it was mobile for one and it was the tech was quite a lot different um and we had something like 20 of these sim farms so if you can imagine roughly between 20 and 40 sim cards in each sim farm times by 20 yeah okay and the traffic going through them all the time um and what happened was there was we got hit by a misbilling situation so we were billing our customers that was fine based on the data that we were provided by uh, by a2 uh, o2 sorry a reseller of o2 the data was incorrect and o2 had underbilled us by something like a quarter of a million pounds wow um which was a big shock to us so we then went into a long argument with them over about three or four month period saying well that that doesn't match with our data because we had the data as well because we had our own telephone exchange which sim cards were connected to we could dispute their data but from their point of view we couldn't so well, no, our data is from network yours is connecting into the network the two should surely match and despite several arguments they then decided to issue um, proceedings against the company and we didn't just suddenly couldn't make up quarter million quid there and then. We had they issued a statutory demand to the company, which being essentially means you got ten days to pay. We couldn't. We tried to reach an arrangement with them, say, look, you know, if you allow us to keep going, we uh, worked out a payment plan. So we would pay fifty grand a month off of that. So five five months clear, which they initially agreed to, and then. One month in, total change. Can they do that though after making the agreement? They did. <laughs> or oh, was this a bit of a David and Goliath situation? I mean, obviously O2 were maybe a little bit smaller back then. But... Well, it was it was a reseller of theirs, so it wasn't directly O2 because right. they didn't have the, no, right. You couldn't de- we couldn't deal directly with them. They had a reseller, quite a large reseller, which is often where where a lot of the networks work. They have a, a reseller that will interact with the. Um, consumer end of the market or business end of the market so they're dealing with one company which is essentially what we did with our telecommunications company we were a reseller so we the, the telecommunications company dealt with us we built the customers for them yeah so what did you do how did you come up with the rest of the cash didn't we we said look if you continue with the proceedings we will close the company and because i mean it's where you gotta be a little bit careful if you're if you're in that situation because we, we've done nothing wrong it was a miss billing on their part not ours we'd worked out what everything should be based on our um, sim phones which should have been correct they should have matched but they didn't so we were working essentially according to them of false data by this reseller how long was that going on for like how long were you working off false data for uh probably 18 months wow wow a long, long yep. time was there anything that you could have foreseen that you were actually working off false data? No, um, because the technology we had at, the, at our end, the telephone exchange that we linked in, which is, you know, there's, there's lots of them in the city and other cities, uh, Manchester and, and so on, um, where you essentially plug in a, a, what you call it? a network cable and connect everything up. Um, so that was, that was proved technology. Um, but there is a different end to the story. So although... They ended up closing our company. 
we learned that after 18 months later, they successfully sued O2 for wrong billing and recouped £2 million from them. By which time, of course, our company was already closed. So did you get, you didn't get, a, so you should have claimed some of that money back from them, for, from that lawsuit. Yeah, but the company was closed. Nothing we could do. Wow. So, because the other question was thinking, could you have taken court proceedings out against them at the time to then to help delay that that payment? Because essentially, if it's a, if it's a missed billing, then could you have yeah taken them to court like they they did with O2? Because we couldn't prove that they 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 had the raw data directly from the the O2 network, which we were relying on our data, and so they were saying ours was wrong. But they successfully used the data that we provided them with to sue O2, which took them another eighteen months. But they got a settlement from O2 for ingrate billing. So it never crossed. It never was in the conversation that you could take it further and take it to court. No, because of the statutory demand, we were limited with time. So how how did so you obviously lost that company and and by the sounds of it, well, did you lose the quarter of a million or did you no, not no. have to pay it yeah. out? you closed it well they forced us to close we had no option in fact they they they, they were the ones that closed the company we didn't so they they forced the closing of the company um which then went into the insolvency service um because owing owing quarter million quid um and i i was interviewed by the insolvency service in london as a director of the company and talk me through that it's, it's something i know nothing about so is that because they need to understand the reasons for the insolvency and is it is it to essentially look for any potential wrongdoing and fraud? Is that what they're trying yeah, to, because, you know... Look as, as a director of a company, if, if you've done something wrong and the company loses money as a result and then you end up closing the company owing people money, potentially you are personally liable. So um, when I was interviewed by the insolvency service, I laid the blame fairly squarely on, on this O2 reseller. Their data was wrong and we had done nothing wrong. And well, they must have believed us because I was not certainly not um, sued for anything after the company was closed. And what was the fallout from losing that company and, and obviously all of that, I suppose, pressure at the time? Uh, the fallout as was we stopped the Simvamps. <laughs> Um, but that, that was it, really. There was no, there was no other fallout. Um, we focused on a different part of telecommunications, which we still had our other company for. So um, that was still going. That was still thriving. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, the only losers were us at the time because we had to close the company. The the O2 reseller didn't lose any money because they got two million quid back from from O2 because we weren't their only uh, the only company that they were dealing with that had SIM cards. So was there no fallout because essentially you had the other businesses which were going really well and that kind of softened the blow and this was the sort of smaller growing company that you essentially lost? Yeah. Would that be fair? Yeah, because yeah, if you think about it, we still had the revenue from that company and we'd, we'd had that revenue come in, we'd paid bills out of it mm. and so on. Because that's such a yeah. shock of getting a quarter million pound bill that we didn't yeah. know what expecting. And then getting the statutory demand 10 days, like, well, hang on a second, <laughs> give us time to pay. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll work this out. Yeah. Did you have to make a lot of people redundant? No, because it, it was a limited number of staff. And because we had worked, our companies worked out of one office, 
it, they were interchangeable essentially so we had kind of like central admin which worked oh. for all companies so it just means we diverted them onto one of the other companies okay it's good so all of these experiences in you know in those failures and the the issues that um you've kind of faced what did you learn from all of that and how have you kind of incorporated those lessons in you know your businesses to date i think it's um it does make you a little bit cautious as a business person or more cautious i should say um and certainly to think more before jumping into things um but i think when i look back and at the the two failures there what what was wrong well on one of them absolute nothing billing issue so we didn't really do anything wrong there and the it while we went into a business we didn't understand so you know learn from that don't do something you don't understand um and i think that's kind of like warren buffett says isn't he? If he doesn't understand it you won't invest in it mm. yeah yeah no, so, definitely. so you know because same kind of principle applies and i think that's in any business if you're going to start a business you need to understand the business you're going into and and all the ins and outs of what it is and how to make money out of it otherwise you'll you, you'll fail so from that perspective it's kind of yeah that that was the learnings but in terms of fallout i don't think there really was any fallout and how was there any other sort of learnings that you you took forward you mentioned about being cautious what did then that kind of caution look like did that then change any of your decision making kind of going forward did you take less risks i think um yeah decisions became a li little bit more of committee type decisions <laughs> rather than let's just go for it kind of decision um depending on what where it was so you know who was the level of expertise it was but when it came down to me and jackie it, we always consulted each other so if i had an idea for something i'd always consult with jackie if we didn't have agreement we didn't do it so before that you didn't have that i suppose decision making process we had decision making process but often it was me putting forward the ideas and and, okay. and i was struggling to get their agreement so when we started the telecommunications company and we were selling um telephone lines for example so which was the um dominance of bt at the time but they were then allowing resellers to sell telephone lines and i said but we've got to do this this is again it was a market opportunity it was first mover advantage you could start to do exactly what BT were doing. So you became then become a carrier. And they didn't get it at all. I I struggled for time and time and time to try and say, come on, let's get it get this going. And then I that, that and then I just I all I all I did, what it taught me actually was to one due diligence, right? Bring getting all my stuff together. I say, here's the stuff, right? Here's the data, here's here's the reasons why we should be doing it. Let's go to a meeting with BT. Let's let come on, let, they're doing this meeting in, in Heathrow or Gatwick or whatever, let's go down there and you see for yourself and tell me. So make a bit of a business, make a business yeah, case. Exactly. And you tell me if we if we come out of that meeting, you don't think it's a good idea, then fine, I'll drop it. So it sounds like you've always been the one that's driving everything, whether it's, you know, whether it's making, I suppose, decisions to be self-employed and, and take the plunge there and take risks in terms of, you know, your spending and then I suppose pushing your businesses forward and pushing your directors and co-directors forward and, you know, into new markets. It sounds like, you know, there's a lot of ambition and drive there. 
you know, where do you think that's come from? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, apart from what I've said about the, the couple of mentors that I've had, um, I think really it's just down to my childhood. I think, um, you know, I was one of four, four boys, but the other three were stepbrothers. So I was from previous marriage, as was my sister, but my sister was taken into care at, um, when she was, I think it was 10. Um, so I didn't see her from the, about the age of 10. And so I, I was treated differently. And, you know, simple things. My brothers used to get pocket money. I didn't. Hence, I wanted money because I needed pocket money to buy sweets at school. <laughs> yeah. You know, little things, but I didn't have that. Like, like every kid yeah. does, yeah. I couldn't buy the things from the top shop because I didn't have any money. So that was my driver to get find a part-time job. A paper round is actually what I did it first of all. To, to earn some money. Um, so I think part of it's from that. And then, you know, I, I still get on with my stepmother, but it's, it's her, really, to, to a degree, I've got to thank for giving me that ambition to want to achieve more because I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting that thing. And, and, and oddly enough, and this, this is going to sound really weird, right? Even today, I still do not think I have achieved enough. I've done well by many people's standards, don't get me wrong. But I, for me, it's not enough. I've not, I don't think I have achieved anything at all. You're still trying to, well, what, yeah, what, what is that? What are you still trying to prove, I suppose? And who are you trying to prove it to, I think? Well, I think a lot of people have asked me that question. Um, and I guess to a degree to prove to my stepmother, that I am worth something, that I am actually not a no good person. Yeah, I would yeah. I I wasn't an easy child. Um I was in trouble a lot. Um and I, I was told nothing would ever be come good of me. So I can think partly that partly my dad dying uh, when I was twenty five. Um and and then I'm suddenly being leaned on as the eldest person in the family essentially uh, and I had to take care of my dad's funeral, dealing with my dad's debts I paid off my dad's debts didn't, I didn't tell anybody, it's just, this is the first public time I've actually said that actually um, and um, you know, I think I've seen what getting into debt for people can, can ha- what can happen so all those kind of things culminates in me thinking even now why? What? Yeah. You know, people ask me why I'm still working. I could. Have re- I could. Have, I did retire actually when we sold the telecommunications company. I got bored. Um, and and it, you know, the classic entrepreneurial thing: well, getting bored. My friends have now retired from work because we're all, we're all in our sixties now, early sixties. They've retired from work. They said, "Why are you still working, Mark?" I said, "What do you do all day, Bob? Play golf. Great. What else do you do? Nothing." So I get to meet people that I've enjoyed talking to. Mm. I get to do deals, which excites me. I can go on holiday anytime I like, anywhere I like, buy what I like, roughly, within reason. Rather than being sat at home or playing golf all day. To me, it seems utter boredom. And as I say, yeah, the classic entrepreneurial thing, getting getting bored and, and then continually and working. And, that, and that's kind of, you know, interesting why I asked that question earlier about, you know, have you always been an entrepreneur and being um, that you know, when you were 16, having three jobs, 
and now you're in retirement age and you're still being an entrepreneur and, and uh, you know there is obviously and then you, i think you've kind of touched on it you, you are still driving because you're still you feel you still have something to prove that'd be fair yeah yeah i think it is i mean i, I got an offer accepted last last week on a on a deal and so <laughs> i've got two more out there that looks like they're going to be accepted as well so i get excited by it the the, the the deal side of things is what excites me more than anything. Uh, the money is the bo- the byproduct of getting the deal, mm. uh, but it's the deal side. And is that your is that your sales, you know, head coming out, you know, back to that psychometric testing earlier? I think you kind of the endorphins are going. Yeah, and it's and it's why I enjoy mentoring people as well because I I get the kick out of pushing them to get the deal to to get the deal get the deal get the deal. You've got to that, at the end of the day, if you don't sell a product. Or service where are you making money so in our in the property industry now that i'm in it's slightly different obviously we're, we're buying a product but we're going to retail it at some mm. point so we need to make money on that mm. we're going to sell it we need to make money on it out of all of these sort of challenges that you've had and those sort of low points that we we talked about what have you learned about yourself <laughs> yeah and, um i think i've learned to take things a little bit slower um not that much slower but a little it doesn't sound like it <laughs> you know you're not fully retired yet yeah slower um yeah. i think that if don't do things i don't enjoy um which i have done in the past i've done things but because they made money i did them but don't now i, I can say I, I don't do things unless i enjoy doing it um, but I am excited by opportunities. I, I, it just it's just response. What's in me? I, I, if I see an opportunity, I'll say, okay, what can we do with that? You know, um, and, and the money side is you know, part of it, I guess, because there needs to be some there needs to be some reward at the end of it, definitely. And if it wasn't worth doing, you wouldn't do it. But there's also the challenge aspect of things as well. You know, when I was younger, most men retired and died within two years mm. that's still a fairly common statistic mm, yeah definitely why because they've stopped life is that what you're afraid of yeah i don't want to stop why Why would i stop if i as long as i enjoy what i'm doing why would i stop you talked about doing things that you didn't enjoy was that the it business or was there other things that you got into that you weren't really enjoying you just you know, as you said, motivated by the financial reward. Yeah, I mean, the IT was one. There was initially, when we first did a stab at the telecommunications side of things, I did not enjoy that at all. Um, I struggled with it. Um, I didn't understand it initially. And I thought, nah, no, no. It was a different part of the telecommunications we ended up doing. But it was it was one part. I thought, well, God, no, it looks. And because I was essentially doing most of the sales, if I stopped it, that's it, stopped. <laughs> yeah. Right, the pipeline yeah, stopped. Yeah, pipeline stopped. So, and that particular part, it did. And we stopped doing it because I, I just refused. I said, I'm not doing it anymore. All right, I'm finding it hard. I can't get across the reasons why someone should buy from us at that point. I'm not understanding enough. So, again, not understanding enough. That changed as we the telecommunications stuff that we were doing grew. We get to, got to understand more about telecommunications company, and then we went back into that same kind of area later on. But I understood a lot more. How did you recover? I suppose your 
kind of confidence and I suppose from that personal challenge of of being bankrupt and your kind of life is you know being so such severely kind of disrupted how did you recover and and kind of keep going and and sort of I suppose build resilience that was hard um I think when I split with my wife and then my um, my daughter uh, got to stay with her um that was probably the hardest part of time in my life and um you, you it's very difficult to remain positive in that kind of environment um and I think I, I'm I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to get off on things, but at that point in life, I did. And as I said, I was a little bit suicidal. I drinking a lot. I kind of, um, you know, which is a, 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 a kind of never-ending spiral kind of thing. And I think what helped was meeting my then partner, a new partner. That kind of gave me a new... Uh, a new belief system. I guess I, I suppose what I'm really trying to say is that I needed to have someone else to believe in me. Right. Someone that could... Didn't have to understand what I was doing, but believed that I could do it. And that... What? Life? Yeah. Just, just you know, uh, uh, and, and whatever it was, you start the company, whatever, that, that I could actually do it and I could get, do things and make a success of it and and having someone else there to to say fantastic well done or what's gone wrong <laughs> do you want to talk about it yeah you know because not not having someone to talk to is terrible you know i've got a partner now um she doesn't understand much about what i do but she always asks how's it going is that is that is there a problem there with that still or you know have you found a way around it she always asks me that's asked with her you know so it's it's kind of having that kind of the other person and that does, it can be a partner it can be a friend a mentor someone that believes in you is really really important yeah definitely i mean was your business partners not that when they're not able to i suppose provide that personal support as as well as business support i mean it sounds like you know your your other director mark was obviously a big a big support at the time was did i mean i presume they believed in you uh i believed in my ability yes obviously they they you know because of my my um background prior to meeting them they was a little bit wary um as well so it it, it did in my mind slow things down quite a lot to begin with because i wanted to do things but i couldn't do them yeah, because the one one I used to check with them, but I just financially couldn't do. I couldn't, you know, I had no say over the bank account. I wasn't director of the company, so right, you, 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 had, you had less power and control. So I had to rely on other people. Um, and yeah, you know, I think as time went on, um, when they started to see the sales coming through on things, they realised that I did, actually was quite good at what I was doing. Did they? You mentioned about them being wary. Did that ever get talked about? Did they treat you differently because of you know because of your 
um, the, the background and, 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 you know, the near bankruptcy? Um, well, I mean, yes and no. I think um, little things. I was the last one to get a company car, for example. Right. Even though I was the sales out going seeing people. So. Okay. Yeah. You need to make a good impression. Need to make a good impression. So I drove around in an old Volvo at the time. All right. <laughs> but, yeah, those things have to be dealt with. Yeah. I don't know if that's sometimes a good thing for a sales director to have a, an old bad car. I don't know if that, if that presents a good impression or a bad impression or. Uh, I'm not sure. What do, you, <laughs> what do you think? Is it best to have a flashy sports car as a sales director, or is it better to have something that's battered and you're spending all of your all of your company resources on the clients? Yeah, nothing, nothing too flash. But I mean, I would never park outside the customer's house anyway. So, yeah, um, the, the cars look looked good to the employees, definitely, <laughs> so they could see you know company successful, guys, yeah, rewards, the status mm-hmm. kind of thing. But from a customer's perspective, when I was out visiting customers, I, I never parked outside the customers. What has all this challenge taught you about business and, and life? Uh, I think what, with business, like too many people give up too soon. And if you stick at it long enough, if you, if you believe in what you're doing and you stick at it long enough, you will succeed. T- time is the only variant. right? If you've got you're good at whatever it is, you've got a good product or service, then if something's not going right, fix it. Find out what's not going right. Because if you stick at it long enough, it will work. Yeah, the majority of businesses fail within the first two to three years because people give up. If they, if they just stuck at it, stuck at it, got some advice, sought, maybe got a mentor, whatever, to fix whatever the issue is that's causing it not to work at that point, they will succeed. And, and that, you know, I firmly believe that. I think when you're long enough at something, as long as you get down the right path, that's the right idea, as long as you're down the right path, and fixing things that don't quite work, adapting, you will succeed. Uh, in life, yes. yeah, I've made lots of life mistakes. I'm on my third relationship, um, and I would say my best one now, found somebody that kind of understands me. I'm not an easy person, but I know that I'm, I can be difficult. Um, and as a father of three kids as well, I don't see as often as I'd like, but you know, there, there's a price I've paid for the way I am. And I'm not saying that's because I'm in business, just it's the way I am. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to retrieve that, I think is, is difficult. It's one of my biggest regrets is I didn't spend more time with the kids um, when they were growing up. Now they're a bit older. Again, not being able to have the time with them. I, I do regret that a lot. Is that because you were working so much? Yeah. Could there have been any different? It could have been. But what I've won. I mean, what could have that looked like? I mean, what, what sacrifices you, would you have had to make on the business side in order to, to, you know, to have more time with the kids? Well, that's the big unknown. Mm. And that's the thing. Um, yeah, I, I'm lucky because I worked from home, so I got to see the kids growing up. I used to take them to school every day when they were tiny. Um, as they got bigger, that became more difficult because then we had to drive to, to get them to school. So, um, and then I was, you know, the hours I was working, I, I, we got into an office then, so I was working longer hours. I'd leave early in the morning, come back late at night. 
So the amount of time I was spending was less and less and less. And, and the only other time I got to spend with really was when I was off Christmas and, and holidays. Um, mm. And uh, it wasn't enough. I think it was, you know, I I, I regret that. Um, could I have made everything else a success alongside it? I probably could have done. I know I could have done. I just think it's my the way my mind was so focused on things. It's only later you realise actually I've made a big mistake there. Mm. Just like just kind of wrapping up now and kind of a few more questions. What advice would you give to new entrepreneurs about how to handle their fear of failure? Well, first of all, seek out someone that you can talk to. Now, I often refer that nowadays as a mentor coach find somebody that you can bounce things off right because it might sound total madness to you but to them it won't because they don't necessarily understand what you're doing but having a bouncing board of, and that could it could be a partner you know wife husband whatever right have, have someone that's trying to do everything on your own is really really hard very few people you know really really successful entrepreneurs you know they like Sir Richard Branson uh, Lord Sugar They've always had somebody else with them. What they call it, sidekick. There's always been someone else there, but they've been able to bounce things around. But they were the entrepreneur, yes, but they couldn't have done it on their own. So, do you think it has to be someone neutral, um, or does it have to be? Can it be someone in the business? Can it be a business partner? Um, I think business partners hold themselves accountable in different ways. I think it really depends on your skill sets as well. Um, me and Jackie work well together because our skill sets are totally different. Um, so that does depend. But so you can talk to each other in a different way you can talk to, say, your husband and wife. But I think having someone independent outside of that is even better. So that has no financial interest in what you're doing, mm. um, that can actually give you an impartial look at things. Mm. No, that's great. Is there anything else other than getting a, a mentor in terms of that fear of failure? Because as you yeah. said, it's uh, with so many businesses failing within a short space of time after um, after starting, then that's why new entrepreneurs will get put off because they don't want to be one of those. I think also you need to associate with like-minded people because the fact of the matter is not everybody is an entrepreneur and most people will knock what you're doing even your family okay the belief is not there because you're just starting why are you doing that why have you left this safe secure job to start a business that, that they don't understand because they've had jobs all their lives most majority of people have had jobs you're now making a big step decision to change your life one way or the other so mixing with other like-minded people so that could be a business networking event because business people were all the same you know we all have these doubts in our minds there are many many business networking events out there that are well worth going to go to events that improve your mind you know i've done tony robbins a couple of times i did the firewall with tony robbins that was a mind-blowing experience if you could if you could walk across hot coals it shows you can do anything those kind of things is what I'd say is, is surround yourself by like-minded people get rid of the red lighters now if, the, if your red lighter is your husband or wife that's a really difficult thing 
<laughs> you've got a what problem. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you've got to try. You just don't talk business around them. That's it. Mm, mm. Yeah, and that's really sage advice. If you could go back in time and you know look at any of these failure moments and low points, would you stop them from happening? Would you completely erase them from from actually uh, occurring? I think each low point teaches you a lesson. I think there are things you learn from every kind of low point. Would I change them? Of course. I mean, if I, if I could have changed them, I would. But would I be where I am now? I don't know. That's the thing, isn't it? You just never know. If you change something else in your life, where would you be now? If I'd taken that job in Hong Kong as a stockbroker, where would I be now? Who knows? So I think, you know, life is what it is. You can't change what's happened in the past. All you can do is change what you're doing now and change your future. And that's exactly what I did. I, I changed myself for the better. I think I'm a better person, a business person as well. As an individual, I'm more rounded than what I was before. But that comes with life anyway. The older you get, the more experience you have, the more life experiences you have as well. So you, you there's, a, there's a good reason why, you know, going back hundreds of years, why the older people in the villages were the sages, if you like because they'd experienced much more life than you had. I mean, when you're young, you're exuberant, you're full of confidence, you want to go out and change the world. And then you get older and you learn from things that perhaps didn't work out or things that did succeed and re repeat the successes. So you'd learn. That's the nature of us being as human beings, isn't it? We would learn, or hopefully we'd learn from things that we did wrong in the past. And I, I feel that's what this this podcast has been today, actually, of learning from my my elders today and, and you know, all of the... Uh, you know the ups and downs that you've had it's been um, fascinating so we are going to do a quick fire round okay and so these are short questions and obviously short answers so failure is not acceptable not acceptable, not acceptable. interesting uh, I'm just going to take a deviation here well, why why not acceptable <laughs> given, the, given the, what we've been discussing today yeah, I th well, I think if you're if you go into something with failure in your mind, then you will fail. So that's what I mean. Is if you're starting a business and you think, "Am I going to fail?" Get rid of it out of your head, because you will. You, if there's very briefly, when I, I, there's a motivational thing that I listen to very very frequently, talks about two things: the thinker thinks and the prover proves. If you think you're going to be a failure, the other part of your mind will say you're a failure. So that's why that's what I mean by not acceptable. Great. What is your life's mission? To leave um, my kids with the lasting impression that their dad did all he could do to make a better life for them. Amazing. What's one piece of advice that you want to give when you're on your deathbed? Mm, that's a hard one. I mean. Don't change who you are just because other people say you should change. Always be yourself and go out and do what makes you happy. Name one that one habit that keeps you resilient. I don't read the news. Yeah, me too. It's empowering, isn't it? If you could be immortal, would you take it? If everybody else was immortal, yeah. 
Just think how many deals you could do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> What's one surprising fact that not many people know about you? One surprising fact. I, when I was 15, I was chess champion at school. Of the school? You're a multi-talented person. And what's one guest or number of guests that you could recommend that you think I should have on this podcast? Uh, do you want me to name them? Yeah. Okay. So of people that you may or may not know, I would certainly have Emmanuel Ezekiel. If you can get him, Paul Merrick. But I'm not sure he's got a failure to talk about. I'm not sure. Um... I think other people I know maybe it would probably be top of my list why why Paul Merrick if he, he hasn't got a failure fantastic but it's first mm. he must have a, he must have some failures in there somewhere I, I, he hasn't seen those failures he won't see them as failures no no but that's what I mean all business people have ups and downs yeah. in their in their in their careers so. he, he would take it as a learning experience mm, definitely okay great thank you for those so, um, Mark, where can people find you and connect with you? If you want to connect with me, um, just look for me online. Just look for Mark Lloyd on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram. You'll find me. Google, Great. Google mm. me. If you Google Mark Lloyd property, you'll find me. If you just Google Mark Lloyd, you'll find an excellent Michelin star chef. Now, whilst I'm very good at cooking, Michelin star. <laughs> So you need to put the property yeah. bit in, right? Because it's always dangerous Googling someone's name because it's it's invariably, unless you're really famous, doesn't turn up with your name. But um, just add the property. So Mark Lloyd Property um, in all good um, websites and, and search engines. So Mark, um, it's been a great conversation and thank you for being so honest and giving such a great insight to all of the challenges that you faced. And I know we've touched on some difficult subjects today, so I really appreciate you being um, so honest with everyone. And I'm sure everyone will, everyone listening will get so much out of this. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Fail. Really hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new. Please do subscribe to the show and leave us a review. It really does help us to grow and to reach more people. Do follow us on social media too. We're at Jeswood on Instagram and at Beyond the Fail on YouTube and also on Linktree. Thanks again and see you soon.